0: That Triathlon Show, 403. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Richard Laidlow. Richard is somebody that many of you have heard of as the father and coach of Sam Laidlow. In this interview we discuss what it's like to coach Sam, we go into details around his training, uh, but we also have uh, a long discussion around coaching and training advice for age group athletes because Richard does work uh, with age groupers just as he does professionals. But before we get into uh, the interview, big thanks to our sponsors Precision Fuel and Hydration. Precision Fuel and Hydration help athletes perform at their best with electrolyte and fueling products and with free online. Tools, education, and a patented sweat test. You can use the free fuel and hydration planner on their website to get a personalized plan for your carbohydrate, sodium, and fluid intake. And you can also book a free 20-minute video consultation to chat through your plan with the athlete support team. I have used their entire range of products for a long time, and I think they're absolutely brilliant. You can get 15% off your first order by using the code TTS23 on PrecisionFuelandHydration.com. And thank you to Senate. The Senate indoor swim trainer allows you to improve your technique, power, and swim training consistency, even when you're short. On time. It's a great tool for busy athletes because you can do a quality workout in just 15 minutes at home, even on days when you don't have time to go to the pool. And it is a perfect complement to pool and open water swimming as it allows you to focus specifically on key aspects of your swimming, like your catch and your power, and isolate them more easily than you can in the water. You can try the Senate risk free for up to 30 days, so if you don't love it, just send it back. And you can get 20% off your first order on senatesinter.com forward slash TTS. Now, without any further ado, let's get into the interview with Richard Laidlow. Welcome to the travel Show, Richard. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me on. Uh, all uh, all hot and busy down here, so it's all good.
0: Yeah, maybe tell the listeners where where are you based actually.
1: Uh, we are based on uh, in France. They're probably one of the most southerly parts of France, uh, right on the Spanish-French border. Uh, not far between, uh, it's sat in between sort of Girona uh, as a cycling mecca of uh, Europe at the moment and uh, Perpignan
0: right and uh yeah maybe we can use that as a lead into a bit more about uh you and your background within endurance sports as an athlete and coach and also the training camps that you're running
1: yes absolutely uh so uh I've been here based down in the South of France now for 22 years, uh, from a coaching perspective, I, well, no, from a triathlon perspective, I've been doing triathlon since I was 14 or got introduced to triathlon when I was 14 and probably took it up seriously when I was 17, 18, uh, coming from a swimming background, um, I worked I was I was in the military as a physical training instructor uh for a number of years and that's where I got into coaching uh triathlon and coaching people in in, in perspective. Um then I had enough of the the military. Uh, I wasn't really a military person. <laughs> I don't like to shave every day as you can tell. <laughs> and then uh so then uh I started lecturing. I met Michelle my now wife uh and she was lecturing in art and design and they were looking for uh they were looking for sports science lecturers uh and physical training uh, lecturers as well so I got an opportunity to start lecturing uh at a sort of uh, further education level uh, from sort of at 16 up to sort of whatever age, 60 year old some of the people we used to, I used to lecture. Um, and I did that for about seven years uh, before, seven to eight years before then, we both decided to come down to the south of France and focus on setting up uh, triathlon training camps here uh, in amelie Laban. a place called Sportifs. Um and yeah, so we've been doing that now for 22 years, uh, introducing both Sam and his brother Jake into the world of triathlon through the amount of people that we get through our doors.
0: Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a bit more about that, how you run your camps? Because it's a bit different than uh, your traditional training camps.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's a home from home, really. Uh, the training council people come out here. We we look at smaller numbers, we don't look at sort of big numbers uh, and getting sort of twenty, thirty athletes or forty athletes out at a time and having two or three coaches at a time. Uh, people come out with uh, out to us, uh, and either I'm coaching them or guiding them, depending on where they actually come from and if they've got a coach or if they've got any ideas of what their what their training is about. Uh, they are integrated into the family, so they are part of the actual house itself. Uh, they eat dinner with us. We basically Michelle uh, caters and looks after him as much as you would if you were sort of at home. So they get to see the life of a of a, a pro athlete from it sort of from a homely perspective, not from sort of okay, I'm sat at in a, a big training camp uh, in sort of standard accommodation. its it, they're they're part of the house.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, that's uh, that's a really cool concept. I we've talked about this before, but yeah, yeah. I really like what you're doing there. Um, let's move into some questions around coaching, and I thought that we can break it up into basically two parts because i know a lot of listeners will be interested in uh, your coaching of sam of course sam laidlow
1: yeah
0: uh, and we can start with that and then we move into some more like general uh, coaching questions that how they might apply to to others as well yeah. but yeah let's start with what is it like to coach your son is it very different due to the relationship that you have compared to coaching others
1: it, it, I won't say so. No, it's not that much. It's not that different. I mean, the benefit is I get to see him on a daily basis. So, okay, the the stats and everything else uh, from sort of his HLV etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, might be all sort of uh, good. Yeah, but I actually get to see him face to face and actually speak to them. And that's one of the things, again, we what we see in the training camps as well, We actually, obviously you can communicate with people, you see them on a daily basis, you can see how tired they are. And it's the same sort of with, Jake, uh, with, with Sam, sorry, it's like sort of they come in and I can see Sam in the morning go, oh, is he going to have a good day, is he going to have a bad day? And sort of can adapt to training on a daily basis. Uh, and going through sort of Arthur Hozo, who uh, who won Nice again, his development has been when he came in, and when I could actually see him on a on a on a daily basis, yeah, because you can get so much more feedback than you can just from looking at the data itself.
0: Mm. Um, so now, so so Arthur and Sam are now training. Basically, doing all the sessions together—is that right? And he's living very close um, we were, to you we, guys. Or? Uh,
1: yes, yeah. We we're Archer, uh, Archer, and Sam, and then uh, Jake is joining in. Uh, now he's now he's in his summer holidays, uh, and we're actually taking him out and homeschooling him from from September onwards. And then also we have another—I uh, won't say younger triathlete, and a new sort of uh French triathlete called, coming through called senzino Uh He is, again, a youngster, just finished his sort of studies and he's locally from this region. And so we've got a little community together now where they're all training together. Now, all of them are at different levels. And so obviously training needs to be adapted, but it, makes, it does make sort of swimming up and down the swimming pool or, or going for a run a little bit more interesting, uh, but they're still doing their own separate things depending on where their strengths and weaknesses are.
0: Mm. So, uh in terms of Sam's training, then how, do you can you characterize it in in some way? And this might be one of those questions that we talked before that you said would be a bit different, difficult yeah. to answer, but uh, give it a shot.
1: Now, I mean, I try and keep Sam's training as consistent as possible. It's always been about consistency, uh, and so we have a weekly structure, and that weekly structure then is sort of developed uh, depending on where those needs and where they are. So, for example, uh like today, today's, uh, today's uh, Mondays, we have a swim session. Uh, which at the moment is raced on based on race pace so I am at race pace uh, we did a little bit of difference today it was a little bit quicker uh, as the PTO championships uh, are coming up uh, PTO um, Singapore coming up so therefore we basically we just did a little bit more speed work uh, but still sort of having uh, race pace intervals and then they've gone and uh, he's gone out and done sort of a two, two uh, four hour zone two uh, ride And now this is where they'll set off, like all of them will set off together and depending on how they feel, but everybody's zone two is slightly different. So therefore they quite often either hang on to each other's wheels or they actually split up completely. But today sort of thing, it's a a zone two, yeah, it's a zone two, four hour ride. Uh, Tuesdays, we look at uh, doing a brick session, so a bike into into a run. Uh, the bike is very man focused at the moment, uh, and the run is a little bit of speed, a little bit of just uh, short. Uh, so, for example, it'd be a minute on, 30 off, or 45 on, 45 off, depending, just very VO2 work, VO2 work which we don't do a lot of, to be honest. Uh, and then also looking at uh, sort of stability, strength, uh, proprioceptive training uh, to help sort of the stabilisation uh, during running and swimming. Uh, as well and keeping the, keeping all of the small muscles and everything else as, as strong and as flexible as it possibly can. Uh, then we look into sort of a Wednesday, which is a bit more of an endurance day. So, again, we get another swimming, so the second swim of the week uh, where we look at sort of uh, working on endurance and getting the pace. So, again, zone two sort of training. Uh, and More or less straight away, we then go in and do a long run. So that long run could be anything up to two and a half uh, to two forty-five run again at the moment. Looking at sort of Ironman pacing, uh, so over unders. Let's say of Ironman pacing. Uh, so they get the actual body used to actually running. And at the moment, it's really good, but it's good training because obviously it's, it's super hot down here uh, and it helps and we can get the nutrition and get the hydration all dialed in because this is one of the one of the issues that Sam has had in the past is he sweats uh, three liters an hour. <laughs> so trying to replace three liters an hour is actually pretty difficult. Uh, so when we're actually training in that, we can actually put it and test and do things together to make sure that everything's working well together uh thursday is a long bike uh it varies i mean obviously we've got uh i uh the world championships down in nice so it's very much more uh hill waste uh, and getting climbing staying in the on the on the try bars getting the right sort of uh muscular strength uh muscular endurance on the actual hills itself uh, Friday is an easier day. Uh, our an easier day. Still, we still get a swim in, which is more technique based. But I mean, still technique based. We still get six k. Uh, done in that swim session. Uh, so I wouldn't say it's actually easier. People think that sort of technique work is actually easier. And from a strength perspective, uh, it sometimes it isn't as, as easy as what they expect. Uh, and I remember that as a, as a sort of an athlete. Oh, great, I've got technique day today. and actually worked out harder than a hard day. Uh, and then also we'll do sort of an hour, an hour and a half of run drills, uh, strength, strengthening uh, up and everything else for Sam on that. Uh, then Saturday, uh, we sort of alternate sort of a flat ride to a hilly ride, uh, again, looking at time and intervals, um, and again, another stabilization proprioceptive training, uh, session, which is about 45 minutes in in total. Uh, but it just me. Means we keep on to, in, on top of little things. The, I mean, these are things we picked up when Sam sort of broke his foot uh, in 2021. I think it was he broke a bone in his foot and things like that. They just basically kept on top of that, uh, and we noticed. And then on Sunday, it's and uh, the, the the sort of the final, the fourth swim of the week uh, into sort of an LT2 run uh, and an easy bike as well on top of that. So that takes it yeah. out i would say that, that sorry
0: that that fourth swim what kind of swim is that
1: uh, that's an endurance yeah so that would okay. be an endurance okay. swim I, again i don't stick to these because obviously i can look at them and go oh uh, yeah that's not the right session to do today so it's not as though we have that i have the sessions pre-planned go okay this is what you're doing this is what you're doing this is what you're doing yeah uh, it's planned. we have an idea but at the end of the day it's when he wakes up in the morning we see what's actually happening see how his body is we look at how he can actually absorb the training and for me it's the absorption of the training session is the most important part not what you're actually doing in the t- in the actual training session uh, so if you can if we have that format uh, but then again if it's not if his body's not going to accept it then quite often we'll say, okay, we'll just do a different session or we'll change that. Or we might think today, oh, can we do a little bit of this or can we do a little bit of that? But that's the sort of at the moment, that's the the general structure we have. Um at the moment, sort of Sam's I would say he's up to around about 30 hours a week, which uh we've up that we've increased that a bit over this year, uh, slowly increasing it as a youngster uh so sam's only still 24 i don't like to put too much load because obviously there's within the principles training you have progression so if somebody's doing 35 38 hours now in four years time yeah how much training does he actually have to do to carry on that actual progression so it's a slow pro not a slow process but it's a process going up yeah so for example uh we look at sort of the average hours over the last uh let's say no last year uh, we were just under 20 hours a week uh, on average, where this year at the moment we're averaging 21 hours. So we've gradually moved that up on average. But again, it varies within the actual week itself. Um, yeah, and in sort of I break that down at the moment sort of in over the last sort of, uh three yeah over the last year we sort of it's around a sort of about 50 55 percent uh on the bike uh 20 20 22 24 on the run 20 percent uh, uh swimming and then sort of uh, about four percent uh sort of strength training and how that actually balances that out
0: mm. well that's a, a very good breakdown thank you for that no um a lot of it is, uh, or there, there seems to be a lot of focus on, naturally on, you said, uh, Ironman pace and strength-based work and so on. So that's you have knees coming up in not too long now. But is that something that you find that you do a lot of even outside of the specific preparation period that is yeah, just I mean, Sam generally responds well to?
1: Yeah, I mean, for Sam, Sam has a huge aerobic base. Uh, he always has had a huge, huge aerobic base. We don't really need to improve his aerobic capacity. Uh, what we actually look in trying to do is the sustainability at a high, at, at, high, at higher power or at higher, higher speed, which then comes down for me to a lot of muscle endurance, strength side of it. So we, we we sort of look at the quality of the training and, and how his actual body is absorbing that strength sort of thing, working that way around. So trying to uh, make his muscles a lot more economical, uh, sort of improving the mitochondria or the number of mitochondria or using sort of a, a better fat source, et cetera, et cetera, for a, as, a tra- as, a, as an actual training session. Uh, one of my theory, one of the areas that I sort of look at is uh, it's not about how fast you can actually go, it's how little you slow down uh, in an actual tra- in an actual race itself. So if we know he can hold, for example, 320 watts, which he didn't go, and how long can he actually can maintain that and then carry on and run afterwards? It's not, it's not sort of, yeah, I would say, yeah... It's, it's not sort of I'm looking at LT1 LT2 or let's say aerobic and uh, threshold we're doing no sort of working in those sort of areas we're very specific to the actual event and what we're doing because we know uh, I know that we're focusing on I distance so realistically do I really need to be pushing his threshold or his LT2 up as high as possible? No what I'm trying to do is get his LT1 as high as close close to his LT2 as possible so we need to be as, as efficient as possible.
0: Mm, yeah uh no, that makes makes a lot of sense and uh in terms of the distribution between disciplines there so um percentage wise it it sounds like i guess very Pretty normal for for what yeah. we do. We would expect a full distance athlete to. Sam
1: does a bit less strength than a lot of people. Uh, we're not very, I say, strength training. Uh, everything we do is about stability, stabilizing. And you're looking at the small muscle groups, looking at sort of yeah, all the small muscles, the ligaments, the tendons, and everything else like that. And it's a lot of proprioceptive work as well as 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 well as sort of stabilization. We don't tend to do a lot of sort of uh standard sort of weights where we're squatting or lunging and things like that That least everything is introduced that we can actually break into the actual sport itself so i mean this is one of the things i used to lecture in when i was lecturing uh is we would look at sort of uh exercise training methods and make it very much sort of okay what's the weakest part yeah and then try and strengthen that part up in each individual discipline if it's in his ankle we're his knees. Everything else. Instead of looking at sort of okay, let's make your let's make your quads, or your hamstrings, or your glutes as strong as possible. Yeah, it's very much about okay. Let's look at what the weakest part is and make that strongest. So therefore, the main muscle can actually work better.
0: Yeah, yeah no, that makes sense. So uh, obviously. Most people will have seen that Sam has a remarkable swim and, and bike ability, and uh, and he can run well as well. There's no doubt about that, but that's been a bit more inconsistent, I guess. But for the, the swim and the bike, what would you say, can you attribute that to... Uh, to some some specific characteristics within him or within his his training that makes uh, him
1: so good? Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds to me. I as I said before, he has he has a great aerobic capacity. He always has had, had as a kid, I and mean, uh, some people will turn over and go, we shouldn't be doing that sort of thing." But for example, when we were. Uh, I think he was nine when he did his first 100 kilometers on a bike. And then every year we sort of grew from that. So he did nine, then he was 10. I think at 13, uh, we did 220 kilometers on a bike and had no issues at all. Actually, we were a group of four of us, and Sam was actually the better one out of all of us at the end of it. Uh, and then when he was 14, we did uh, just in training. These were just objectives he had in sort of over the summertime. And uh, he, he we did a half Ironman distance uh, in training, so we did the swim. We just went to the pool, got straight out, biked, and then did a run. Uh, and he did 445 when he was 14 year old, uh, and has no real sort of uh, had no real down effect. So we know he's got this huge aerobic capacity. So from a training perspective, I'm looking at building his strength up, so he can actually work a lot harder on that. He can be as strong as he possibly can, so his body doesn't break down. And I think you're seeing that more and more and more in long distance tri- in, in long distance triathlon or Ironman is that athletes are getting stronger and stronger. If you look at D-Lef, uh you look at Christian, yeah, they're all very, very powerful, like strong, strong athletes. They're not sort of lightweight, weak, not light, like, light, so weak is the wrong word, but lightweight athlete. You don't see them sort of skinny little things running around. Uh, where sort of ten years ago, no, fifteen, twenty years ago, uh, they were as light as it possibly can. Where it was always oh, you know, power to weight ratio, power to weight ratio. And over an event that's sort of seven seven and a half hours now long for sort of uh, the top end. Yeah, it's it's how how strong you can go without actually breaking the body down, so you can keep going faster. So yeah, I would say for me, it's the swimming and the cycling is very much about sort of strength orientated. And where we're based here, uh, from the cycling perspective, uh, it's yeah. I mean, we've got hills, we've got flat. We can climb up to two thousand three hundred meters in the middle of winter uh, on roads around us. So it, it's it's a good training environment. So if
0: somebody recognizes themselves in that—that uh, that they also, for, however, they do know that. But they know that okay, I have a strong, um, strong aerobic capacity, but I just seem to
1: slow down too quickly, too much. Yeah, they haven't got the top end speed. Yeah, uh, Sam, Sam was never a sprinter. Yeah, even though he raced short course and was racing quite well, I mean he did his first uh, pro race for a D1 team called Poissy uh, up in from Paris up here. So the French D1 system, which is quite a big, big sort of strong system where you look at, yeah, I mean Sam's raced against, uh, yeah, all of them: uh, Christian Blumenfeld, uh, Alistair Brownlee, Johnny Johnny Brownlee, all of that as a youngster uh, in that system. So they race against it, and Sam Sam was always good in the swim and always good in the on, on the bike, but. He never had the, the top-end speed to be able to run a sort of sub-15-minute uh, 5K, which is what you actually need to do, be doing to win those sort of events and also for the, the WTS. Um, I mean, mentally the French system uh, supported Sam and actually they took him on board because obviously he had the potential to be able to do that. But again, it wasn't something that Sam really enjoyed doing. Uh, And I think when you get in that close into sort of into the sport itself, you've got to focus on what you enjoy doing more and more and more and not sort of just, I'd say, flogging a dead horse on the areas that you don't really enjoy doing. Um, uh, Yeah, and I think that's one of the biggest things I've I've noticed and taken on board when… he was racing or he was in the French Federation system. A lot of their training was very, very high intensity and it would take Sam a lot longer to recover from that. And it wasn't suiting him and he would break his body down. And okay, yeah, you get a good race every so often, but the the rest of the time his body... Was really really tired, and obviously when he then came to me, came back to me and asked me to coach uh, to coach him, I knew the fact that he that didn't suit him. So we don't do a lot of uh, VO two work, we don't do a lot of lt two work uh, at all. And I, I think retrospectively for Ironman, do, how much do you need lt two? How much do you need VO two? I think he's a minor part part of it.
0: And strength work on the bike is is pretty clear. I think riding riding. Long rides, lots of so and work, heels, uh, and so on. What what does it look like on the swim?
1: Uh, well, the swim is basically, I mean, we keep it relatively. We Sam swims four times a week. Uh, the sessions vary from um, about sort of 5,500 to 6,000 meters. Uh, but my uh, goal is at the end of the day is I want them coming out of the pool with arms uh, dragging along the ground. Yeah, that strength, and I see that over and over again. Sam's got a good technique. He's always had and I worked on that from when he was a young kid. Uh, but people just don't have the actual strength to be able to maintain that uh, that way. Again, so a lot of paddle work. I use, uh, <laughs> infamously use my stones uh, to swim. Uh, so Sam sort of has these 500-gram stones that he actually swims with and does sets. Uh, within that, to improve his actual strength. That's not just improve his strength, it's also to help improve technique and actually improve his swimming in a wetsuit. Uh, it's one of my, uh, one of sort of the, the, the things I've used for a number of years now. Uh, yeah, and just get them to have tired arms that come out of the water. They're not physically exhausted, aerobically, sort of it, but their arms are blown apart. Yeah, uh, and that's how you improve somebody's strength in swimming. And I think it's one thing that's really missed in training a lot.
0: And uh, how does that play into in any way how you um, how you design the the sets with in terms of the length of the intervals, recoveries between intervals, intensity um, that you use? Yeah, I mean
1: it's, it, it comes back down to what how he is in the morning, uh, how they are in the morning, uh, and how, and how they sort of progress through. But also, uh, uh, it's uh, it depends on what time of year it is and whereabouts in the season and what their objectives are. Yeah, Uh, it's very much about sort of, okay, uh, I'm very specific in the way we actually train. So again, it's not sort of, okay, I'm looking at zone one, zone two work or looking at threshold work It's very much about sort of making, taking it to that uh, point that we need to improve for that actual race itself. So it's very specific in the, the way we work. Uh, and also uh, <laughs> I, I like to <laughs> make things harder than they actually are. So when you come to race day, then obviously when you're racing, then it, it feels a lot easier.
0: Mm, yeah yeah for the swim for the ironman swim especially that that makes a lot of sense because it it shouldn't be too hard on race race day absolutely
1: uh
0: and uh yeah then so the run i guess uh what what are you trying to do uh if we go into a bit more detail than we already discussed to to just build that run up to be able to consistently uh close it out on the run
1: yeah i mean consistency what's what is consistency um it's The world of Ironman and the world of long distance triathlon, for me, it's it's such, they can't race that often. Uh, because it's just taking too much out of them so quite often we'll go into a race and go okay let's see what actually happens where we are at this moment uh, and again the same thing it's its always the point so obviously Sam has this stigma of uh, sort of uh, blowing up on the run uh, I mean it's a bit harsh for me if you look at sort of what he's done in the past uh, for example such as last year okay you've got Kona but also finishing fourth on the PTO ranking system, uh, fourth in the both PTO races that he did last year uh, and then you look at a few years before where he ran a 242 marathon uh, up in a small race up in the Lakesman uh, in the north of England. Yeah, he, he's got that actual capacity to run, uh, but obviously we need to put everything together. When you're racing for seven hours, seven and a half hours, the smallest thing, yeah, if you're racing on the limit can affect something. Yeah, so if uh, he misses a water bottle or one of the water bottles is... Too highly concentrated, or something else, then it can fall apart. And obviously, that's what we're experimenting with when we're actually racing. Uh, I mean, he's been super unlucky for me this year uh, with having sort of the liver infection that he picked up from open water swimming uh, before um, before uh, Lanzarote, and then I say coming into coming into uh, Roth. Yeah, to, I mean, he, he he ripped it, he tore his muscle, he tore his uh, calf muscle, but he had a three-centimeter tear in the actual calf muscle through the actual run itself. So he, you know he's actually on the limit the whole time through. Now to combat that, obviously, we're just being consistent make him as consistent as he possibly can, make it as easy as he possibly can. Yeah, so looking, okay, let's take 3 minute 40 kilometre pace and make that as easy as possible. So therefore, when he gets off the bike, he can carry on running at 3 minute 40 kilometre pace for for as long as he he needs to, Uh, or 350. I mean, at least last year, we were looking at sort of 350 kilometre pace and make that as strong as possible. But when you're on the fine line all the time, uh, the smallest thing can can obviously change that
0: yeah actually uh, that uh leads me back to what you said before with a three liter per hour sweat rate mm-hmm. i mean that's pretty massive how what is right uh, right now for right now anyway realizing that these things maybe can change as you get more information but what is the strategy to to combat that kind of sweat rate to try to basically
1: depends consume- on the, yeah it depends on the temperature uh consumes literally as much liquid as you possibly can uh, if that's, or not just, yeah, consume as much liquid as he possibly can, but also to cool his core down as much as he possibly can. And if you look at sort of what we what he did in Kona, uh, where he was running along, grabbing hold of the big bottles and just literally drinking it and pouring it over his head as much as he possibly can. That's what we actually need. That's what he needs to carry on doing. If that means he has to slow down in the track over a, uh, aid station to pick up because they only have cups. Yeah. Then he's like sort of throwing over as many cups as he possibly can, uh, over him and drinking as much as he possibly can and teaching his body to be able to ab- absorb the amount of liquid that he's putting put in into himself or the amount of fuel that he's putting into himself
0: what, is, uh, what has been the, the amount of fluid that per hour that he has consumed maybe it's different in the bike and the run but in the, in, in the hottest races like Kona or even in, in Roth uh, this year it was uh, very hot
1: uh, In Kona we, we looked at the, uh, in Kona we calculated he was taking in around about 2 litres an hour uh, of fluid, uh, the sort of uh, and, and that's also the same in sort of the PTO. We were looking at sort of liter and a half to two liters. It wasn't it wasn't as it wasn't as high. Uh, I mean, I think Lanzarote <coughs> again. I don't I don't think this helped sort of his liver. We knew that it could possibly be very very hot on the bike, and it actually wasn't. Yeah, he was actually quite cool on the bike, and so he I think he over over drank weight again he was looking at two and a half liters a, a, an hour on the actual bike itself to get on ready for the actual run and I think it was sort of there was lots of different things that sort of came together uh and we need, he need, we need to learn to adapt. Uh, as the race adapts within it. So it varies through the race. I wouldn't say there's one thing, okay, you are going to take two hours and two liters an hour for the next seven hours. Yeah, it really does depend on what's actually happening and how that temperature is at that race. But a lot of it is to try and keep the body for him to try and keep his body cool, as cool as possible. Now, Sam copes with the heat really well because he sweats so much. Yeah, but also therefore his body's cooling himself down, cooling himself down. We just need to aid that, but make sure that the actual the dehydration isn't as bad and also keep the sodium balance uh, in his body as even as we possibly can so his body doesn't start shutting down, which is what we've seen in the past.
0: And what is your strategy with, with sodium? Is it to always try to match the... Estimated sodium concentration, or what? What? What's tried to do? Yeah, uh?
1: I mean, we've uh, we've we've spoken to. I've spoken to a number of people and read. them I mean, it's one actually one of my uh, books that I read quite often. It's just called Sweat, uh, and it's understanding about what the human body sweat is and how we can actually replace it and everything else. I would like. I would like to see a, an even balance. And now I know that's not possible. Uh, I mean, we're quite lucky, or no, Sam's quite lucky in the fact that he doesn't salt his his sweat isn't that salty. Uh, but then again. If you think of losing three liters an hour, that's a lot of sodium he's losing at the same time. So we try and keep it as balanced as we possibly can. Uh, because obviously as soon as I've I found, as soon as the sodium uh, balance in the body is wrong, then the body will either try to get that balance right again. And a lot of people going sort of detail will be going along the run and they just can't stop peeing the whole time through. Yeah, because their body is trying to balance that sodium out or the people are there trying to get as much water into the into the system to neutralize that water to to balance the actual sodium itself out or they get cravings for for crisps or peanuts or whatever it is while they're actually running along. Uh, I mean I've gone through that myself and getting the mineral balance is 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 really important I find. Mm,
0: yeah. Um and uh, then then one more question on Sam is around the big picture periodization around racing you already said not racing too much but actually uh, when you said that uh you said that you can go into a race and just see what comes out of it so does that mean that you still are okay with racing but maybe training through the races
1: yeah no absolutely uh, training through races everything else i mean it's it varies from person to person and it depends yeah uh, again it's sort of from sam's perspective uh sort of a couple of years ago you were looking at sort of he was racing because obviously that's where they get money from uh, and get sponsorship, get time, etc., etc. Yeah, and now sort of thing since Kona and stuff and sort of the the PTO, Sam doesn't probably need to race as much, but we still need to know what race prep is. Yeah, so the races are, if we're going into races, they're there, uh, we'll probably have one or two Key race sessions, uh, key sessions, uh, uh, races in the season, and the rest of the time, he's like sort of okay, Let's let's see where you are. Let's train through that. What's happening? What happened? Can we change this? Was was that working well? Was that not working well? As well as also keeping uh, the sponsors happy uh, by by sort of being 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 seen on on the on sort of the, on the screen.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, you mentioned the two uh, fourth places in the PTO uh, races last year, and uh, I agree; those were very uh, impressive performances. So, but but you said earlier that Sam's main goal is still Ironman, the Ironman yeah. distance, I guess. So, um, do you think on that, is it possible to be equally competitive at both distances, or or is it almost a, a necessity to to just Choose one that will be your absolute main distance.
1: I think if you look at, I think if you look at sort of what's happening in the world uh, at the moment uh, with sort of uh, Gustav and uh, Christian and Ditlef, there you can be you can be good at both. Uh, I mean, obviously, the other end comes in. You get the faster boys coming down from sort of coming up to from short course or WTS stuff. But yeah, no, I think you can be competitive in both. Yeah, but again, it's what you're actually focusing where your main goal is, and our goal is always the longer the Ironman. Yeah, so that's always the focus, and we train through those other sessions and learn from that, or get a bit of publicity from that. It's always it's always there as an actual uh, as a stepping stone. No, also it's, it's it's good fun. You you don't you don't become a professional professional ironman athlete or a professional triathlete if you don't enjoy racing
0: yeah uh, that makes sense so let's move into uh the general coaching section and uh mm-hmm. here i mean maybe you can answer from an age group perspective but if you also want to give an answer from a pro perspective or both then that's mm-hmm. that's absolutely fine yeah. uh so yeah let's start by just uh, you giving an overview of your coaching let's call it philosophy
1: now that's now. That's what's complicated for me. There, there is no sort of. There is no philosophy. There is no. It, it's basically, uh, triathlon as a sport is quite complicated. Obviously, getting people in, having all different levels. Uh, you've got to understand them as a person and adapt. So one of the things that, and it's. Uh, I suppose I only really sort of came around with it as a philosophy, and it's not my philosophy. Somebody uh, was – Dan Bingham brought it out within his book of sort of reverse engineering uh, and look at what their actual goals are, uh, long-term, short-term goals, and then look at where they actually are and see how we can actually uh, engineer their training to be able to get their actual uh, achievement. Yeah, it's not – and so, therefore, when I'm actually do looking at sort of athletes – uh, I look at a whole sort of i 'd like to look at sort of the last four or five years of an athlete to see where they 've come where they 've been focusing on what they 've done and see what if they 've they 've achieved their goals or failed their goals, why have they achieved and why haven 't and then adapt the training around that it 's not as straightforward as having sort of okay i 'm going to use a, a polarized method of training because it varies from person to person there 's no in my eyes there 's no there 's no uh, there's no one way to train the athletes, especially as age groupers, um, because obviously an age grouper has so many other things going on in their life, family, job, yeah, etc., etc., uh, And all of those need to be taken into consideration. Uh, so we look at what their goal is. Yeah. And then I work back from their goal and go, right, OK, this is your goal. This is where you're at. How can we get you to this level and then build towards that? So it's very, very specific. Yeah.
0: Well, with that in mind, I'm going to change some of the next few questions a little bit and give some specific examples. So let's say uh, I am an A Trooper and I want to qualify for Kona or Nice, uh, the Ironman World Championships. That's my goal. I've never done that before. I'm I maybe, I maybe I've done one or two Ironmans, but uh, i i am kind of moved, have gradually moved up through the distances. So I have a bit of a background, but I'm by no means like an exceptional talent. Yeah. Uh, what what would you say are the, what? how do you approach swim, bike <sighs> and run training for somebody? And also let's say uh, that they are pretty well rounded across swim, bike and run. So acceptable at all, but uh, not excellent at, at any of them.
1: Again, it it goes into their – then it comes into their work and their social life and their family life and how much time they can actually spend across to actually training, et cetera. Some of those – I mean, I get some people they come in and they want to achieve this and then then I've only got six hours a week to do that. And it's like, so, well, that's not – it's not possible, yeah, at the moment, over a long period of time it might be possible but at the moment it's not possible yes yeah, so i would much rather sort of look at it from a realistic point of view and then sort of if i can see somebody comes in i want to qualify for going to, okay we look at the history of what they've done and what they actually need to do yeah there's enough data out there there's enough information there's enough result results to say okay if we can make you this strong yeah or this fast yeah or this fit yeah, then you have got a better chance, or you have got a good chance of actually qualifying for for or achieving your goal. Yeah, or achieve, in this case, qualifying for Kona or Nice. Yeah, and so we adapt that through and say, okay, we know that obviously if you're going to go for this race, we can see the results from last year, how those little races went, and okay, where were you? Where, how are we going to change that and build that up into in, into into that, and build their strength around uh, or their endurance depending on where they need from their sort of the history they've had
0: yeah so if going into the swim a little bit and uh i'll ask it from from this perspective uh, across various athletes that you coach or come across or talk with in general uh if there were two things that you see that um athletes that have some kind of performance goals uh age group athletes uh, not professional athletes uh, two things that they that, that a lot of them kind of get wrong or could improve oh. by doing differently or change or implement can yeah. you give two tips for improving their swim training well,
1: that way? one is uh training too often yeah so again i i'm i've been in the lucky position here to have thousands of people come through our doors and actually see their level of their, uh, their level level swimming and how much effort they put into swimming, yet they don't carry on progressing. Uh, their technique is very good, etc. But they might go in. Oh, I've only got half an hour. I've only got forty five minutes, or they go to a club session and they're getting in sort of 2,000, 2,500 meters in a session. Yeah, but they're doing it on a four five times a week. Yeah, or even some cases six times a week. Uh, and for me, obviously, you've got to recover. Yeah, you don't do a, you don't run every single day. Um, to try and get some, to try and get better, but y- you will get better for a short period of time, and then you'll hit a plateau. Yeah, you don't swim. So for me, the the tip is basically swim longer, swim stronger, but less. Yeah, so the body then has time to recover and adapt uh, muscular to to be able to then to swim better. Yeah. That's so the, good one. Yeah, and the second, and and, the second and, and,
0: I, and I would and I would say it's a very it's an unconventional one. Like, yeah, I I don't remember anybody else saying it on this podcast, but but <laughs> uh, I I do appreciate the perspective. And I, and funnily enough, like if I look at my personal training right now, I'm I'm at a point where I have decreased my swimming frequency. I actually haven't made the sessions longer; they're a standard like four k every time. But I have yeah. decreased it from four or five times a week to three times a week, and. Yeah. I'm actually seeing some improvements, so so maybe there is something to what you're saying.
1: I mean, recovery, recovery, is one of the pe- cre- uh, pe- uh, key principles of training. Yeah, uh, and if, if you're not recovering, yeah, I and mean, okay, oh, I'm swimming, then I'm cycling tomorrow, I'm running, then I've got another swim. I was oh, swimming is also is is less impact on the actual body itself. And again, it's like what I said before: is you uh, as my second tip, you want to come out of the water with your arms falling off you. Yeah, if you're not coming out of the water with your arms falling off you, then you haven't hit an overload principle. Uh, yeah, a lot of people, as a natural triathlete, we get our aerobic capacity from cycling and running as well. So we don't really need to be pushing that forward in the actual swim. What we need to be doing is making that distance feel as easy as possible. Uh, and this is, again, where people really sort of fall down. They go, oh, I want to do, uh, let's say, a one hour 10 uh, swim. Uh, uh, and swim, and they can do that in training or their paces and their, their critical swim speeds or whatever their training, their thresholds would dictate to them. But then when they come to race, they're just not physically strong enough to be able to do that.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, and uh, same question for the bike. Uh, two tips to improve your bike training.
1: Uh, consistency. Uh, be as consistent as you possibly can, and I think that works in all areas uh and use hills hills are a brilliant bit of kit uh turbo trainer again is is pretty good, but actually going out and getting going up and climbing up and climbing down or dr- uh, cycling down hills is one way to get somebody very very strong and also learn how to handle the bike itself as efficiently as you possibly can uh if you're if you're doing sort of a uh, yeah, a long ride. You see people going there and they attack an actual hill each time they go there and they're attacking, they're going faster than 30 seconds in, 45 seconds. And like, oh, hang on a minute. This is not, uh, this is not, uh, the pace I should be maintaining up here. And so they're not very, they're not very consistent within sort of their, 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 their strength or their power that they're producing up the actual climb itself. Uh so that's the first one is basically get out into the hills learn to ride the bike in a hill uh, as, as much as you possibly can because it works on your handling skills for da- going downhill but also improves your actual strength uh and your aerobic capacity as well as your mitochondria uh, in the body uh and the second and the second one is fueling make sure they fuel enough again the, uh, we have lots of people out here and you see them they might go out there and they'll probably have sort of 45 grams have carbohydrates an hour in their training session oh, i'm trying to improve my fat metabolism it doesn't work that way uh yeah your body's fueled you need you need to fuel your body correctly before during and after the ride to get the full potential of it
0: yeah uh when you when you talk about consistency on the bike do you still apply the same principle to swimming of also getting the recovery not not biking too often so how many days a week if you have the time as an age grouper but but you want to get yeah, the maybe, right
1: yeah it, it's consistency obviously for me what you actually want to do is i would look at sort of uh one sort of uh endurance ride uh where you get in a good bit of mileage i'd say a minimum of three rides a week if you can fit four in them four rides a week is fine it's fine uh, but again you've still got to let the body recover uh, and it, I think we can see, sort of see that when I was talking with Sam about Sam and how many hours a week training I know I know age group athletes are doing more training than Sam is at 21 hours on average a week over over the year uh, and I see that a lot and it's not they're not letting the body recover properly uh, so yeah, as three to four training sessions a week uh, Again, I would look at sort of using the hills, a lot of strength, probably a turbo train session because it's very intense and very, and you can get a short session in there, uh, but learn the actual skill of cycling as well. Learn what it actually is to uh, to go downhill at 40, 50, 60, 70 kilometers an hour and actually start to enjoy it and get the actual skill of riding again.
0: Yeah, I think that's a, a great point because uh, since the power meters have become basically ubiquitous we yeah. ev- everybody's focusing on the power their race yeah. power ironman power and but if you have three different people going let's say 250 watts for an ironman then there can probably be as much as a twenty uh, two twenty to even even bigger gap between the slowest and the fastest on a not super technical course, just an, an average course based on handling skills and where they apply the power and, and, and yeah. so on. Aero position of course and, is really- Yeah and for me
1: again it, sort of just using power is it's uh I think just just using power alone is, is not very uh, not of intelligent way of training. Uh, there are so many other things that factor that into, into that, uh, using your heart rate as much as you possibly can, using RPE as much as you possibly can, you use all three things to monitor how you're cycling. Yeah, and sometimes you might go out there and my heart rate's low or my heart rate's high and that could be affected by sort of the temperature outside and again we have that at the moment when people come in into the summer I'm running or I'm cycling really badly, my power's really down but your heart rate's where it actually is because that's what's actually marking your body as you as an actual person it's influenced by what's happening outside okay you're not going as fast yeah, but you're still putting to the limits you're still training in the right area so use as much data as you possibly can to monitor that training training from heart rate, rate of perceived exertion. Uh, I mean, with Sam, I'm sort of. I'm using Moxie as well at the moment with Sam uh, as well to train off, so we know exactly what's happening. Some people use lactate at the same time. So you're trying to monitor it now as, a, as an age group. That's very, very difficult to do that. They haven't got that facility. But more and more, I see age groupers just using power to ride off. Uh, and it's, uh, for me, that's completely not the, the wrong thing to do. They need to be using power alongside the heart rate and calibrating their heart rate zones against their power zones. And if something's not sat together, yeah, so their power is off or their heart rate's off, then obviously you then made to make a decision of what's actually happening. Do they slow down? Do they speed up, et cetera, et cetera, or do they just turn around and go home? Yeah.
0: And, uh, same question for running again, two tips to improve your running.
1: Two tips, uh, again, um, it depends on what they're training for. Uh, you've got to look at where, where, where their strengths are and where their weaknesses are. I mean, you've got to look at sort of improving. So if they're a speed person, yeah, then, uh, is there any real necessary doing a lot of VO 2 work or LT2 work where realistically they need to be building their uh, aerobic base up? And people don't like running slow. It's just, for, again, we see that out the amount of times I bring people up and go, okay, We've got to run slow. You're going too fast. No, but this is slow. No, and it's not slow. Yeah. If you look at your heart rate, you look at the pace you're going at and look at what your, what your thresholds and everything else are, it's not slow. And that's what people don't do. And over a period of time, that slow then becomes quick. Yeah. Which then comes down to sort of, uh, Dr. Phil Maffetone and the Maffetone method of training. Yeah. It's very much like, okay, we'll slow everything down. And then suddenly that slow, that slow is not very slow at the moment. Yeah, and you look at sort of uh, sort of, uh, Dr. Ingo, uh, San Milan at the moment, he's talking about sort of zone two training and stuff and working, but their zone two, especially cycling and running, is still pretty quick. Yeah, so it's the same as i like, told sort of with Sam. We're, we're running in uh, zone two at 340-minute per kilometer pace, if not slightly quicker, depending on the day, depending on the weather, depending on the location. Yeah, that is pretty quick running, yeah, and it's not easy. Yeah. and so people sort of don't take that into consideration they have got to work their aerobic function uh, as the tri- as triathlon for me is especially long distance is a pure aerobic area so they really need to be working on their lowest their lower end uh, base uh, and then looking at sort of improving the VO2 and the and the L- and uh, LT2 uh, so so is the
0: what is the takeaway there is it that is it that just that generally people run too fast, too often, yeah. or yeah,
1: yeah, too fast. Yeah, they don't know how to. They don't know how to run. They don't, how to run uh, they don't know how to run easy until their aerobic base allows them to run harder. Mm. They just yep. run harder full stop. Yeah, and do you have a second one for us? Uh, yeah, use again for me in, the, in running is I would look at uh, heart rate drift. Uh, again, a lot of people are, again controlling their training and how their heart rate is drifting up against their power if they're using a stride or if their uh, their pace and see how much how much is the actual drift between it is there is their speed dropping down as their heart rate is going up or is their heart rate carrying going up and then control their control their running by their actual uh, their heart rate drift over that period of time. So if they're starting off at one hundred and forty and sort of over over twenty minutes and they're up to one hundred and fifty, you know that heart rate drift. Is too big, yeah, and then they need to be just pulling it back. So use, yeah. use heart rate drift to, to control their aerobic capacity.
0: Yeah, yeah. This is where for longer runs especially, uh, I find that with nutritional uh, nutrition hydration plays a huge part there though, because if you if you do a good job with that, then you can definitely delay heart rate drift a long time. But so and and then when when if you do see heart rate drift, then it can be a sign that okay, like I'm just at the limit of my 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 endurance or or my fatigue resistance or but but it can for a lot of people because in running it's a little bit more complicated to carry nutrition hydration that it can be a sign of
1: and that's always that's always one of the difficulties of a uh Of the difference between sort of a professional, or I would say professional because I know some professionals that don't get the same support, or say Sam and the group that I sort of train with against sort of an age group. Yeah, is if they're out cycling, if they're out cycling, quite often I'll meet them with the hydration. Uh, at a certain point you can make sure they're getting enough fluid in etc and it's the same when they're running yeah i'll be out on the bike with them when they're actually running so if they need a drink so i might be carrying a rucksack with five bottles in there and 10 gels yeah so they're actually getting their nutrition in and that's the key part because also again something that age group sort of really sort of forget about is that it, they, they train and then go. Oh, I'll recover after. But if they actually take their nutrition through the actual running and keep their nutrition at the right level for while they're running and their hydration, they will recover a lot quicker than if they don't. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, I I understand that. Obviously, age group is it it's very very difficult for them to go for a run and go. Oh, I've got two liters of fluid with me because I'm going out for an hour and a half. They can't do that. Yeah, so they've got to put a strategy well, I, I,
0: yeah I, I kind of think that actually there's these days there are a lot of really good running vests that uh, that has that easily has the capacity to carry that amount of yeah. food and, and yeah. they're still comfortable so that, yeah, that's where still, I think that you just have to invest in that in that one product that will change your life
1: <laughs> Yeah, yes 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 and yes and no to a certain extent because obviously I also find that people I mean if you take it no, okay you got 500 mil here you got 500 mil here you got another 500 mil at the back and you've got five pockets on there you're looking at a kilo sure. and a half two kilos of extra weight that you're actually carrying therefore you're trying to run at a pace that you're trying to run with two kilos heavier it has a knock-on effect yeah it really has does sort of play with it so yes i agree with you if you're doing an aerobic run and you're using a medium such as sort of heart rate to control it or rpe to control it yeah if you've got two kilos or two and a half kilos you're not going to run as well as if you've got no no weight on you.
0: that uh, yeah that is true that that is that is a trade-off but yeah i i I completely agree with using heart rate there as well as a uh, to um yeah to check in to make sure that you don't just Absolutely. let let pace dictate the run. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, the nutrition side—if we talk about recovery within the training structure—do you, with age groupers, do you normally? Do you work with up weeks and down weeks or recovery weeks? <laughs>
1: no, again, it's not. I'm not I, I, we, we periodize training depending on what's actually happening. So we, ha- depending on where they are, where we test uh, or how we do our field tests, et cetera, we decide, we sit down and discuss where their strengths and where their weaknesses are and how we can actually improve that, and where we're going to do, and then we'll work on a block of training that area until we get to a point of where we become a lot more race-specific. Yeah, so uh, I don't sort of okay. We have high weeks, we have low weeks. Basically, again, I'm about consistency. I'd much rather somebody be as consistent as they possibly can, yeah, throughout that training. If they need to have a rest, then they take a rest. Yeah, and that's my job, yeah, as an actual coach. Yeah, uh, let's look at it from a different perspective. If I was to do a three week on or three week high or build for three weeks and then one week off, yeah, and that doesn't suit somebody, yeah, they're they're not tired when they come to the 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 easy week then that week's completely sort of wasted in the same as four weeks. So I'd much rather adapt their training as they're actually developing. And we found that a lot of people, they, when they get to a certain level of aerobic fitness, they don't really need to actually have that downtime recovery week or recovery day, etc. They actually feel worse from it. Uh, and it's sort of basically keeping them uh, controlled and keeping building that forward, yeah. And I know the periodization and the way we get taught to do uh, sort of, uh, yeah, periodization plans and microcycles and mesocycles and things like that. Uh, I think it can be it, that just makes it a lot more complicated than it actually needs to be, yeah. Again, looking at reverse engineering sort of thing. Okay. I want this person to be able to ride 180 kilometers of 240 watts, for example. Yeah. Then that's what we actually build to do that and do the training to do that and make sure they're absorbing it. If they're not absorbing it, then obviously they need to ease back. Yeah. And then carry on building that development forward. Yeah, you don't look at sort of, yeah, no, it's probably a bad analogy. Look at sort of Formula One. They don't have down weeks to let all their their people recover, yeah, so they can then engineer something a little bit better. They're always keeping as consistent as they possibly can. I, I agree that you need to have sort of downtime in the year, yeah, where you might have four or five weeks where you're completely down. But in between that, yeah yeah for me it's about as being as consistent as you possibly can so i don't tend to have like build three weeks one week off or build for four weeks and one week down uh or having sort of a recovery day yeah in the actual week itself uh, now we do have easier days and i've i've done that in the past but those easy days only means the intensity is easy it doesn't mean the duration is that that could be easier yeah so when we're sort of in sort of winter time, I suppose for us, we would look at sort of doing a rotation where with uh, with some of my athletes where we look at sort of doing the LT1, uh, uh, an an LT1 day, an LT2 day, an easier day, LT1, LT2, an easier day and an own choice day and building that into the actual week itself. So they have an idea of where they're actually going. Yeah. And we adapt that depending on where their where their individual strengths and weaknesses are. Yeah, it's not pre planned.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, what about strength training? Is that something that you would uh, include in the training for an age grouper?
1: Uh, again, it depends on them. Um, again, it depends on how time strapped they are. Uh, I'd like to do a bit of, um, sort of, as I said before, sort of stabilization and proprioceptive training. Well, there are people that have come out and seen me. Uh, because then they can actually take what we've done, the exercises we've done, and I can make sure they're actually doing it right. I've done a number of videos for people and stuff like that about it, but I don't know if they're doing it right. I need to see if they're doing those sort of exercises to get the best function out of it. Now, I have athletes that will use sort of strength training because they enjoy doing it, yeah? So I'll integrate it within their training because they actually enjoy doing it. But again, is it something that we actually need to get their goal yeah uh, is it something we need to be able to that person to be able to ride a two fo- uh, 240 for 180 kilometers or run a 3 uh, 3 hour 10 marathon yeah it, do we need that strength will it help us achieve that actual goal if the answer to that is no then we don't put it in but if it is yes then it, then it gets put in
0: yeah what about testing how how do you
1: implement testing uh, again, it, it depends on what the facilities they have, uh, each an individual person. I tend to do a normal step test with most of my athletes, uh, using heart rate against power, heart rate against pace, uh, and then look at sort of the two deflection points. And we use that and develop that. I also use sort of a, uh, the mafetone test of basically looking at where the heart rate drifted So I'll take their their sort of mid zone two it's individual to each person uh, heart rate and getting to run at that pace and let's see what uh, sorry at that heart rate and be as constant as you possibly can and see how that drops down uh from the from the cycling and the running perspective um from a swimming perspective one of my favorite tests is uh, five times 500 progressive and see where they actually start falling apart on that but again there's certain people they're not at a physical fitness level to be able to do that. So again, it varies from person to person. Sometimes I might just do a normal, a standard sort of critical swim speed test as well as say a a thousand meter as fast as you possibly can just to see where their actual limits are at that time and then use, and use those. But it varies from person to person.
0: Mm, yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, are there any things that you would say for the, those time-strapped athletes that, um, yeah, I mean, that have... Let's say less than ten hours a week to train, but they are still training for, in many cases, half or full distance triathlons. Any any special tips that you use
1: or that you would recommend to um, use? Be specific. They've got to be specific to what they are actually trying to achieve. Yeah, uh, if that's just to finish an Ironman, then obviously then you're going to look through, okay, you're just going to get as much time as you possibly can at an aerobic level uh, to get yourself through that, to, through the actual event itself. But if they have a time, if they're after a time, so for example, 12 hours or whatever, then it's got to be specific training towards that actual time the more, because they're, they're so strapped, they can't do a lot of jump miles. So everything has to be very, very spot on with what they're actually trying to achieve.
0: And uh, now getting into some more, I guess, reflective questions. What is something that you've changed or evolved in your coaching in the last five years?
1: Uh, what haven't I changed? What haven't I evolved? Uh, one of the things that I do as a coach, uh, and I, it's one of the reasons why I actually coach is I learn off everybody. Uh, I mean, when you came to visit with uh, with uh, Andy and all them, lot came, it, it's about learning for me. Yeah, all the athletes have come through the doors, the sort of the thousands of athletes we've had through the doors. I'm always picking stuff up from them. Yeah, and as I say, it's sort of, there's no, there's no sort of uh, right or wrong thing. Everybody's got to, Uh, the example I use with a lot of people when they come out is if I have a room full of people and ask them to scratch their head, they're all going to scratch their head differently. So they tend to find that I've got to, as a coach, I've got to adapt of how they understand something. It's not the other way around. Yeah, and a lot of coaches, I find it the other way around. And I was the same when I was, when I first started coaching. It's like, sort of, you no, know, you've got to do it this way. No, you've got to do it this way. Or you don't understand. Yeah, and you sort of get not aggressive, but you sort of, you fall out with them because they're not doing what you're asking them. And predominantly, that's because they don't understand what you're asking them. Or their interpretation of it is completely different to how you're doing it. And so, therefore, you have to learn how the athlete is and how they understand understand something to actually get the best out of that actual athlete. Uh, and I'd say also when I first started coaching, it, it was what I've adapted is, is I am a big supporter of them as an actual person. Not just them as an athlete, but them as an actual person because the outside influences they have work, family, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, really does affect their actual uh, their training. And if they don't have that support, yeah, then it all sort of starts falling apart. Yeah, where that's what I am as an actual coach. I'm there to help them to develop, but also to support them. So if they have any questions, irrelevant of what those are, yeah, if it's personal or not personal, work related or or sports orientated, yeah, it, I'm there to actually try and help them and give them an a, a ear to listen to. And that's I think is what I've adapted over the years of being out here. That's what I've uh, yeah, I, I adapt the whole time through.
0: Yeah, that's a great answer. And uh, if you could go back in time to when you were racing yourself, uh, what advice would you give uh, to you back in those
1: days? Uh, Get a good coach. (laughs) Find the best coach you possibly can. Yeah, uh, They're worth their weight in gold uh a lot of people spend a lot of money on bikes they spend a lot of money on running shoes they spend a lot of money on wheels they spend a lot of money on other things that are relatively different where an actual a, a good coach who's there to actually support you as an actual athlete is is uh is a big big thing i mean when i went i had a, i was supported throughout all my swimming career and then when i came out to do triathlon Uh, There wasn't that many triathlon coaches around. There wasn't that sort of area around. You sort of okay. There's a running coach there. He might know a little bit about it and join in uh, and join that and join that person. But at the same time, he's not the same. You need to find somebody who you work with, yeah, as an age grouper, and it's it's well worth the money at the end of the day. If it's not worth the money, then it's not a good coach, and you should try and find one that is.
0: So if you had had a good coach back then what do you think they would have told you uh about yeah you know, is there anything that you can think of that they would have told you to change in how you were doing things
1: um yeah, I mean, it's always having having somebody to look from the outside is always interesting. Uh, would they change? I don't know. Would they change what I did? I probably, I mean, I when I, when I was racing, I came from a swimming background and went into triathlon. And, and one of the reasons why I got into coaching was because I became ill with overtraining, yeah, because I was just pushing myself into the ground. Now, coming from a swimming background at that time, swimming, I mean, we were swimming between 60 and 120 kilometers a week as well as running three times a week as well as doing weights three times a week. So we were over-training, especially as a youngster. Uh, and obviously, I took that information into uh, the world of triathlon. And okay, it works for a short period of time. And then suddenly the body's like, hang on a minute, that's not uh, that's not good. So if anything, yeah, I'd say they would pr- probably pull me back in the amount of training that I was doing. Mm,
0: yeah. And uh, yeah, what – let me see here. Yeah, y- y- are there any – Pet peeves you have in terms of bad advice or just bad practice that you see around in the triathlon world that people do or that you see in media or, or elsewhere, anything, any myths that you want to dispel?
1: I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? Because everybody's, again, it's the same sort of thing. It's how you understand something that is being told to you, yeah? Uh, I'll take, yeah, for me, probably one of the biggest things is how people understand when you're swimming, oh, throw the water behind you yeah where's behind you yeah there is two there's two different areas that they can be behind you that can be behind you underneath the water or it can be behind you out of the water yeah uh, and each of them have a biomechanical problem, uh, difference to what actually happens to your body or propels you through the water itself and it's understanding that yeah so the bad habits are let not understanding what the person is telling you 100% or the other way around, the other person is telling you something that you don't really understand. And it comes back to a room full of people scratching their head. Mm.
0: And uh, finally, uh, you've given a lot of specific advice already about lots of things, but are there uh, three more pieces of advice in general about whatever uh, related to triathlon that you would give to age groupers listening to this?
1: Yeah. Uh, one is nutrition. Uh, get your nutrition uh, dialed in, not just in training, uh, but also yeah, outside of the training. Yeah, if you can, and this is the thing, is having, yeah, and that's, that's my next one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, and get your nutrition sorted. So when you finish, your are eating very well, very healthy. Uh, and the right amount and it's the same when you're actually training make sure you're eating as much as you possibly can that you can teach your body how to digest that actual food as well while you're going through training the myth of using sort of 60 grams of carbohydrates uh, and now again it varies from person to person you need to learn or teach your body to how to digest the food while you're actually training as well as when you come into a race um, then sort of uh, that's one isn't it what's my second yeah right now <laughs> got too close into that. Uh, the second big bit of advice is get as much support as you possibly can. Yeah, the more support you have around you from family, friends, uh, physios, etc., etc., that you can go, oh, I've got this problem, and somebody can answer it for you. Yeah, uh, the, be- the, the better, the better. Yeah, so get a big support network because I know obviously as an as a age group athlete and a strapped time, you can sort of, oh, I'll speak to that person. Okay, now I'll speak to that person, see what he says. I'll speak to that person. And then you as a person decide what's the best format of going around somebody. So bring as much support into it as you possibly can. And uh, Probably the third thing is uh, as consistency. Yeah, Be as consistent through week in, week out, week in, week out, week in, week, in, week out. Try not to sort of go, okay, no, I can't do it this week. I've got to change that. You've got to try and work around and be as consistent throughout the whole year as you possibly can.
0: Yeah, that's great. Uh, and let's move on to the rapid-fire questions. So take one sentence to answer each of these. And the first one is, what's your favorite book or resource related to endurance sports?
1: I've got two. Uh, the Law of Running uh, by Dr. Tim Knox, And then probably, I would say, The Big Book of Endurance by uh, Dr. Phil Maffetone. Uh, both old books, but uh, uh, got some useful information because they look at what was happening a long time ago. They don't just look at what's happening now.
0: And uh, what's an important habit that you've benefited from, athletically, professionally, or personally?
1: Uh, 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 consistency. <laughs> well, it's not really a habit, is it? Uh, yeah, my, when people say you can't do it, I'll always try and prove them I can do it.
0: And uh, finally, who's somebody that you look up to, or that has inspired you?
1: Uh, I've got more than I've got more than one on them. So I would say, first, first of all, my dad. Uh, he coached me for a number of years, and obviously. When I was uh, when I was a kid, I didn't uh, I didn't sort of uh, appreciate that he was actually coaching me and what he was giving me. I was just like, "Why the hell are we doing this?" And then now I'm a coach, I can understand why who's giving these sort of things to do. Uh, Michelle, my wife here, who's supporting and sort of stood behind us and made the sort of. Bring the team of team together between us all, between Sam, myself, uh, and Jake, as well as sort of having our sort of physios, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. She brings sort of all of that together. Uh, and then probably my last one is uh, a bloke called Robin Brook. Uh, he was the one who probably got me into triathlon. He's the one who got me to uh, be a swimmer. He was the one who got me to be a physical training instructor in the RAF
0: great and uh finally richard is there any place where you fi- where li- people people can follow you or follow your your training camps and
1: so on <laughs> uh probably sam's the best place to look at <laughs> to be honest <laughs> I, do, I do have an Insta- instagram account but i don't i'm not really uh i'm not really into social media to be honest uh i mean looking at sam looking at sort of the podcast i'm quite happy to do different different number of podcasts everything else look at what sam's doing uh, there's lots of information there about about me as an actual person but i do have a Instagram account, which is Richard Leglo. Simple and straightforward.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Richard. This has been great. I really enjoyed it, and hope to do it again another time.
1: Yeah, no problem at all. Good to be good to speak to you, Michael. All right.
0: I hope that you enjoyed this interview. It was actually a long overdue one because uh, as Richard alluded to in the interview, I managed to spend a few days at the lows uh, back in March of this year. And uh, we said then that we, we wanted to do a, a podcast episode, but uh, yeah, here it is now, uh, quite a few months later. But uh, I'm happy with the end result and I hope that you are too. As always, you can find the show notes on scientifictriathlon.com. One piece of housekeeping before we close out the episode is that we are finalizing some details about next year's training camp schedule. Uh, It looks like we will only be doing one camp next year as as opposed to two that we did this year, but it will be great because we will be back in Mallorca in April. And when all the details, including dates and prices are 100% finalized, I will open the registration for this camp. And at that point, I will announce uh, that the registration is open here on the podcast in the Scientific Traveler newsletter and on social media. But if you want to make 100% sure that you don't miss it, uh, feel free to send me an email uh, right when you hear this and I can put your name down on an interest list and I'll make sure to reach out to you directly as soon as we open registrations for the 2024 Majorca Training Camp in April. Big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Fuel and Hydration, that you can find on precisionfuelandhydration.com. If you are looking for electrolytes and fueling products, I would highly recommend trying them out. You can use their free fuel and hydration planner or even get a free video consultation with the team to prepare your race strategy. And don't forget to take 15% off your first order with the code TTS23. And thank you to sen8 Use the Senate Swim Trainer to improve your technique, power, and swim training consistency. Even if you have just 15 minutes at home available, you can get a time-efficient Zen workout done that will help you swim better and stronger. You can try the Zen risk-free for up to 30 days and get 20% off your first order on zenitimtrainer.com for session TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.